BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, billpressshow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's up to five women now with uh, accusations against uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Stay tuned. Uh, by the end of our program this morning, it'll probably be seven, eight, nine. Who knows? And yet they're barging ahead with this hearing today with only one woman testifying, Dr. Christine Ford and uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, defending himself. What a farce, but the uh, musical comedy continues on Capitol Hill, or the tragedy more like it. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Thursday. It is a big Thursday, Thursday 27, the day we've been uh, waiting for and looking for forward to uh, with some apprehension, mainly because of the big hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is being railroaded through. Now they're saying they're going to hold a hearing today. The committee will vote tomorrow and the full Senate in an extraordinary session will convene on Saturday to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. Do you get the idea that these people may be in a hurry to get something done in a hurry to uh, cover something up before anybody can find out what they're really up to? in a hurry to saddle the country with an extreme right-winger on the Supreme Court for decades uh, before anybody can pull the plug. Yeah, the Senate. Uh, They can't get anything done in six months or a year, but, boy, they can move fast like a bat out of hell when they want to do something wrong. Ah, lost so much to talk about. And then there's Rod Rosenstein, may or may not meet with the president today. And if you saw that Donald Trump news conference yesterday, 83 minutes of sheer lunacy, total lunacy. I'm surprised the guys in the white coats didn't come in with a big net and drag him off the stage. Tell us what you think about all of the above on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news on what is going to be a very busy news day. Uh, Stephen Bellissimo. Stephen Bellissimo, he's a man who lives in Florida, and he's a big fan of Chick-fil-A. In fact, he says he goes once a week. Well, he just celebrated a big birthday, and Chick-fil-A said because of the birthday, we're going to give you free food for life. 
But here's the catch. What was the birthday? He turned 100 years oh. old. So <laughs> I, this is kind of messed up. It, like, because he says he went once a week, and now he says he's going to be there every day, which means I can't imagine that Chick-fil-A is going to be serving him free food for life for very long. Not going to cost him a lot. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't yeah. think so. I, again, happy birthday. And congratulations on reaching 100, but... You eat Chick Fil A every single day. You, you're not. You're not going to see a hundred one. Mm, right. So uh, they did a, a couple people did a survey to find out which state in America is the most sex crazed. They looked at Google data for people and what they were searching for in terms of like bars with the hottest dates, or where to buy condoms, or how many people were looking for porn on the internet. And which state, Bill, would you say is the horniest? Utah. Utah is not in the top five. Only nope. because you wouldn't expect Utah. Right, so sure. No, that's, just... a, that's a safe, that's a safe yeah, guess. Right. Uh, Plus those damn Mormons, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they multiply like rabbits. Don't, yeah. yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah, seriously. So sure. Yeah. The number one state, the horniest state in America is Rhode Island. Oh Rhode Island. God. I guess size doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's the smallest state in America. It also Rhode happens Island. to be the most sex crazed. The I'm top gonna, five. Carol's from Rhode Island. I'm going to have to ask her. There you go. By the way, the top five uh, Maine, Michigan, New Hampshire, <laughs> and Massachusetts round out the top five. Boy, New so England. something going on up there in New England. New England comes through. I, I guess so. Yeah. So they looked at so all this. maybe it's lobster that's the ultimate aphrodisiac and not oysters. Maybe. Yeah. Well, that's of course, a, they have a lot of oysters up there, too. But sure. yeah, it could be the lobster. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, again, they looked at all this data of all these things that people were looking for, and something's going on in New England. Rhode Island. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. With apologies to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, they're going to start calling after today, September 27, 2018, as the day that will live in infamy. Yeah, the infamy of watching uh, Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee pretend to care about the plight of American women, pretend to care about the Me Too movement, pretend to want to hear what Dr. Christine Ford has to say when, in fact, they've already made up their mind and all they want to do is ramrod this nomination through before Sunday in an ex- voting the full Senate. That's what their plan is at this point. Hearing today, committee vote tomorrow, and we're told yesterday that they've scheduled calling the Senate session in in an extraordinary Saturday session. Why? to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And they insist that they've got the votes. And with everything depending on either Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Jeff Flake, they very well may have the votes. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the circus. Welcome to the swamp. It is swampier here than it has ever been. Just disgusting. Between the shenanigans uh, and the hypocrisy, pure pure hypocrisy uh, from the Senate Republicans over the Kavanaugh nomination, and then Donald Trump, 83 minutes of an incredible clown show 
uh, yesterday in New York, his fourth news conference of his entire presidency, uh, and he just went on and on about everything. It was, uh, several people have said, the what was the news conference about? It was all about me, 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 Donald Trump. Uh, and I defy anybody, any American, I'm sorry, if you watch that news conference and you still have any respect at all for the office of presidency of the United States or any respect at all for Donald Trump or any faintest idea that he belongs where he is, I'm sorry, you and I don't live on the same planet. What uh, What a colossal embarrassment to us, to the entire world. Ah, so much to talk about. It's Thursday, September 27th. As I mentioned, this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, you're in the right place. And we're coming to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., where we've been running fast to keep up with the day's events. So we can tell you uh, all that's going on. Get your comments on Twitter, as always, at BP Show. Come on, weigh in. This now there's ever time to uh, <laughs> let your voices be heard. It's right now at BP Show on Twitter. We're coming to you on online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and on the great WCPT out in Chicago to make your morning commute uh, a little more lively, hopefully more enjoyable, maybe more fun and more informative. WCPT, hello, 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 as well as hello to all of you on Free Speech TV. Yes, so indeed, the latest is... The schedule, the deadline for for the Kavanaugh confirmation now, uh, the Senate saying we got to act fast. Yeah, this is the Senate that still can't do anything about. The, oh no, they couldn't pass a Dreamers bill. Uh uh-uh. uh, they couldn't pass an infrastructure bill. In a year and a half, they haven't been able to do anything about that. But man, in three days, they can ram through a confirmation to the Supreme Court when they see this as their last chance to stack the court far, far, far to the right, far to the more far, much farther to the right than the American people are. When they've got a chance to stack that court for decades, man. They'll get their ass in gear, and that's what they planned with this hearing today, starting at 10 a.m. East Coast time. Uh, and then these, at this point, the committee vote is scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, most of the Republicans saying they've already made up their mind. Doesn't matter what Dr. Christine Ford says today. And then Mitch McConnell said he's going to call the Senate in Saturday, maybe Sunday, maybe they'll wait till Sunday, uh, an extraordinary session uh, to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. Meanwhile, uh, so I was uh, <coughs> on my way over to um, NPR yesterday, appeared on their Here and Now program. Uh, love NPR, and it's, uh, it's fun to be on there. And I prepared, you know, to talk about the Kavanaugh thing and um, had my notes on uh, uh, the Dr. Uh, Christine Ford, and of course on Deborah Ramirez, and I'm walking into the building. Ding, ding, ding! Breaking news. Suddenly we we hear from Julie Swetnick, woman number three. And we, as we said yesterday on the on the program, Michael Avenatti, if you've really got anything, um, you better you better show your cards today. Um, and he did. Uh, and this woman, Julie Swetnick, who is a a local girl was high school, uh, in high school and college around the time that uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh was in college, and came through. I thought with a pretty, pretty credible story that she had gone to several parties, 
uh, where Kavanaugh was there and Matt Judge was there, where they were drunk, where the uh, drunk. The one thing that comes across is he was a real sloppy drunk. Yeah. And a frequent drunk. I mean, yeah, they, they say that at Yale. His classmates say that about him at Yale. His high school classmates say that about him. Whether the sexual thought thing happened or not, <clears throat> pardon me, I think it did, you can't deny he was a big boozer. He's trying to deny it. I mean, he, he went out there yeah. saying, like, no, no, these were just people that were of age, 18-year-olds, because that was the drinking age at the time, were the ones drinking. Yeah, and I was, right. no, I would never. Yeah. Everybody yeah. seems to agree that he drank his face off, and it's right there in his right. yearbook but he as just well. Didn't, yeah, that's right. He just didn't drink. I mean, he was over the top. A binge drinker. A binge drinker, exactly. Uh, and anyway, there's Julie Swetnick says she saw him there at many of these parties, and that at, at, at these parties, there were women who were sexually assaulted, including raped, including her. She did not accuse him of raping her or it, it did not accuse him of sexual assault. Her, her story is that he was at many of these parties where this occurred. Uh, so the idea, again, that he was some little choir boy at the time, according to her, is just uh, nuts. And she has said that she is willing to testify uh, in front of the committee. Of course, she hasn't been invited to testify. Neither is Deborah Ramirez. Uh, she also said she's willing to uh, sw- to, to t- uh, be investigated, wants to be and investigated by the FBI. We'll talk to the F- FBI under threat of perjury uh, and tell her story. Um, to, the, to this date, she has not been given that opportunity. And apparently, Avenatti said he has several corroborating witnesses who will back up her story. By the way, you know, it's very interesting to note in her story because, again, these are graphic <laughs> allegations that she talks about with the gang rape. Yeah. Uh, Slate published a piece by a woman who grew up in the D.C. area and talks about going to the beach, uh, which is where some of these things uh, allegedly took place with Brett Kavanaugh uh, during mm-hmm. Beach Week and things like that. And she wrote specifically about what was called the lineup. They didn't call it gang rape. They called yeah. it the lineup. Right. Uh, it's a, the whole piece is in Slate if you want to go read it. But she writes about how there was uh, a, a tradition, a very sick tradition, of boys getting girls very, very drunk. And once they were drunk and somewhat incapacitated, they would line up outside of a room yeah. to go and have yeah. their way with her. Yeah. Right. Which is what Julie Swetnick talks about with Brett Kavanaugh. Right. She says she saw him in line with yeah. other boys outside of these outside of certain bedrooms. Right? So th- this is a yeah. thing that happened, right? Uh, I think there's more and more again mounting evidence. And then later in the day, there were two more questionable, maybe uh, two more anonymous sources who came forward. Uh, one with a story to Senator Cory Booker, which he referred to the Senate Committee uh, investigators. And a that's number four, and then number five, one that came through Sheldon Whitehouse about an alleged rape on a boat up in Rhode Island. Uh, by the way, so um, as many as five, three I think which are credible. Only one's going to testify today, and I think it's a very interesting and very telling that the way this is going to come out. First of all, uh, the way the hearing starts at ten o'clock. Uh, Senator Grassley and Senator Feinstein will each make an opening statement. Uh, and then Dr. Dr. Christine Ford will testify, after which time she will be grilled uh, by a female attorney from uh, uh, prosecuting attorney uh, from Arizona, 
whose specialty is in sex crimes, investigating those and, and prosecuting those. Um, she's been hired by the Republicans to ask questions, to question Dr. Ford, uh, because the Republicans uh, know that they cannot trust the 11 old white men to be respectful by a- and asking any questions. They, don't, they know uh, they could ruin the whole thing, so they've hired this woman to ask questions for them, after which time the 10 Democrats on the committee will have a chance to ask their questions of Dr. Ford. They'll take a break, and then she will leave the room. Brett Kavanaugh will come in uh, and uh, make his statement defending himself. Certainly he will respond to some of the things that Dr. Christine Ford said, and then he will be questioned, uh, my understanding is, <coughs> pardon me, by this female attorney and by the 11 Republican senators and by the 10 Democratic senators. Uh, so there could be a grueling hearing today. Uh, again, the Republicans are just going through the motions. They and Donald Trump, no matter what, what he said yesterday, have really already made up their mind. Uh, and by the way, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. To me, what's really striking about what we saw yesterday was the contrast, for as far as the Me Too movement is concerned, between there were two milestones of the Me Too movement yesterday. You know, up in that courtroom in Pennsylvania, we saw evidence that the Me Too movement, how powerful it is and how far it has come, where after all this time, Bill Cosby, with an over a 50-year record of sexual assault, finally, finally, justice was served, and over 60 women who accused him of drugging them and having his way with them sexually, finally saw justice served and the Me Too movement triumph. And 120 miles away here in Washington, D.C., we see how far the Me Too movement really has to go. Still has to go because here in Washington, D.C., these women are just being ignored, like the Cosby women were for so long, ignored, humiliated, trashed, called liars, called everything else, uh, and not paid any attention to. So the Me Too movement in Pennsylvania, in the, in the Cosby courtroom, <coughs> confirmed, validated the Me Too movement in Washington, D.C., ignored and just basically trampled upon. Um, and we'll see, I'm sure, more of that, more of that today. Uh, Donald Trump talked about it yesterday in that, I got to tell you, I have never, never seen anything like that news conference. Um, 83 minutes long, and it was Donald Trump just, I mean, just rambling on and on, reflecting, not answering most questions, uh, not even letting reporters finish their questions before he would jump in and then rattle on and on and on. Uh, All of it came back to me, me, me. Well, yeah. it's it, it's very unsettling to watch these things live because there's a feeling of helplessness, right, as you watch this guy who yeah. is the president of the yeah. United States go and, on and on. But there's also – it's a weird thing because <laughs> he has never – he never looks happier than when he's in the middle of one of these things. Th- he loves this. It doesn't matter that he looks like a complete buffoon uh, – and completely embarrasses himself. He he doesn't have the ability to be embarrassed. No. And so this is to him. This is wonderful. He loves it. Yeah. And he's he's such a, even a bully the way he asks these que- answers. These oh questions. my god. He won't let you talk. I mean, I was just thinking, what would it be like to work for this guy? 
right? If you're a staffer and trying to make a point, you just can never make you never make your point, right? He is so sure of himself, and some of the things he said. So in terms of uh, in, in terms of the whole, I just mentioned the Me Too movement, right? Here's what he thinks about it, and he thinks about all the accusations against um, Brett Kavanaugh. He sums them up. He sums them up as first say right off the very very top in answer to the response to the first question um, by John Roberts from from uh, Fox News. Big fat con job. They know it's a big fat con job. And they go into a room, and I guarantee you, they laugh like hell at what they pulled off on you and on the public. So, what he's really referring, what he's directly referring to, right, is Dr. Christine Ford or Deborah Ramirez or Julie Swetnick. This is a big fat con job, to use his word again, a conspiracy cooked up by the Democrats to contact these three women living in different parts of the country put them all together and throw it out there and then laugh like hell because we all fell for it. But at the same time, what he's really saying is the entire Me Too movement is a big fat con job. And one woman asked him this question yesterday. He would not answer her question. He wouldn't even let her finish her question as to, sir, do you realize what message you are sending to women? I thought it was such a powerful question. Do you realize the message that you are sending to women by calling all these accusations, lumping them all together, a big, fat con job. Again, he doesn't care. Because in every case, Roger Ailes, remember, defending him. Bill O'Reilly, defending him. Roy Moore, defending him. Right? That was that was a particularly wild moment when someone asked him about Roy Moore. And he's like, Roy Moore, I didn't like Roy Moore. I didn't like Roy Moore. I, I like wanted Roy Moore. Luther Strange. Yeah. But again, he didn't answer the question. Right, right. It right. wasn't about Luther Strange. No, you know, he's, he, he's very savvy at totally deflecting. I mean, but it's so obvious what he's doing uh, again. Um, so then Donald Trump, again, me, 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 comes back to him. He says, hey, I can identify with Brett Kavanaugh because I have also been accused. I was accused by four or five women who got paid a lot of money to make up stories about me. We caught them and the mainstream media refused to put it on television. They refused to even write about it. Wrong. Wrong. He went on, by the way, about all the charges against him. Well, it does impact my opinion. You know why? Because I've had a lot of false charges made against me. I'm a very famous person, unfortunately. I've been a famous person for a long time. But I've had a lot of false charges made against me, really false charges. Oh, yeah. There are over 20 women. Let's just, let's just remember here, first of all. Uh, women who were paid, I never heard about this before. He said there was one woman paid $750,000 to, to, to say bad things about him. I, I don't know. I follow this pretty closely. I never heard about any of that. Okay. But what we do know is he paid at least two women. And Rudy Giuliani says, and Michael Cohen says, a lot more. We don't know who they are. It's weird that that didn't come up yesterday. Uh, yeah. If anybody paid any money, he paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 and Summer, um, I'm sorry, um, McDougal. Um, Karen McDougal. Karen McDougal. Thank you. $150,000 not to talk about affairs that they had with him. Alleged affairs. Yeah, right. Any doubt? Uh, there were... Over a dozen women, it's almost 20 women, who have accused him of sexual assault. Not sexual harassment like Clarence Thomas. Sexual assault. 
He called them all liars during the campaign. And he said he was going to sue every last one of them. He hasn't sued one of them. And then on top of that, there is a one of those cases, Summer, Summer Zervos, remember. Her case is still alive and moving through the uh, New York Supreme Court, Superior Court. And they've already been given permission to um, not to depose the president, but to force him to ask, answer some questions in that particular case. So I, I think we ought to... The, the last person who ought to be out there talking about sexual assault is Donald Trump, a man who has bragged on the Access Hollywood tape about assaulting women. So that was just part of that news conference yesterday. Um, he also, he, he just, he, he, again, he asserts stuff that is simply not true. Like, how ma- I'm surprised, by the way, that he didn't talk about how many electoral votes that he got again yesterday, more than anybody since Ronald Reagan, which he always says, which is not true. But he did talk about... How many women voted for him? What percentage of the women's vote? I got 52% with women. Everyone said this couldn't happen. 52%. <laughs> women are so angry. Uh, that's not true. First of all, neither is true. Uh, the women are not the ones who are angry about this. But uh, I just checked. I, I just checked just to, just to be sure. He got a bigger percentage of the women's vote than I think he should have and that he will the next time around. Uh, but he got 41% of the women's vote. He happened to get 52% of the white women's vote. Uh, African-Americans, he got 4% of the African-American women's vote. Seems a little high. Uh, and, yes, it does. And 25% of the Latina vote. So, um, yeah, he just, he just throws this crap out there, right? Uh and he says this so much and so fast, you can't just correct him on on everything. But the, Peter, again, the next clip where he says about how how women are the ones that are really upset about the Me Too movement. The people that have complained to me about it the most, about what's happening, are women. Women are very angry. He Boy. went on this whole long thing. He, he said yeah. women are very angry yeah. like eight times. Very Women are very angry that men are finally being held accountable for getting away with all of the sexual abuse all these years. So Les Moonves, Bill O'Reilly, you know, we all know this, Les Moonves, Matt Lauer, Bill O'Reilly, you know, where, do we st- where do we stop and where do we start with? Harvey Weinstein. We only have a two-hour show today. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, you name them all. Uh, it's the women who are pissed off about that. Not the men. Yeah. The women hate seeing these men. Bill Cosby hate seeing these men um, brought to justice or having to pay the price. It's just, he's got it backwards. He's turning it upside down. Look at the women's march, women's march in Washington. They weren't out there marching to celebrate Donald Trump's election. They were out there to protest it. They weren't out there, not, they were not out there marching saying, men are being unfairly treated. We are here to say, yeah, we need to we need to pay more respect and attention to men. No, they're saying it's our turn, right? And they're still marching. Now they're really running, running for for political office. So he just again throws out this stuff. It's just insane. Um, uh, he also, I thought was interesting. He um, talked about China. One thing he said, which didn't get that much attention because most of it was focused on the Kavanaugh stuff. But Donald Trump actually accused China. Now, remember, he has still not acknowledged 
that Russia meddled in the 2016 election to help him get elected. He's not condemned Russia for meddling in the 2016 election. But he asserted yesterday that China is meddling in the 2018 midterms. And uh, Aaron, forget his last name, from um, um, CNBC, asked Mr. President, what's the evidence? And Trump just said, oh, it'll come out one of these days. What will he say? He didn't give any evidence at all of accusing China of meddling, uh, making that Pretty, pretty bold accusation, uh, with without any evidence at all. But then he said, "China, uh, China still, still loves me." Yeah. I like China, and I like President Xi a lot. I think he's a friend of mine. He may not be a friend of mine anymore, but he, I think he probably respects. Uh, from what I hear, if you look at Mr. Pillsbury, the leading authority on China, he was on a good show. I won't mention the name of the show recently, and he was saying that China has total respect for Donald Trump and for Donald Trump's very, very large brain. Oh, gosh. <laughs> they, they love my very, very large brain. A brain. Yeah. A brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, he does have a very large brain. It's just empty. Well, put it this way. He's got a very large head, right? <laughs> I I think the brain is, the brain cavity or whatever they're called is is pretty empty. A brain. A brain. Mm, they love my brain. They're not. It the sounds like he's doing a Trump impression there. Yeah. Like it just Doesn't sounds he, uh, like he's just trying to do a Donald Trump impression. Yeah. They love my very large brain. A brain. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, China are not the only ones who love Donald Trump. So do the TV networks. Mm-hmm. In fact, nobody can beat me, he said uh, several times. Nobody can beat me in 2020. They're, ne they're never going to be able to beat me in 2020. How could they? And not only that, the networks are all going to endorse me. I think ABC, CBS, NBC, The Times, Washington, <laughs> they're all going to endorse me because if they don't, they're going out of business. Can you imagine if you didn't have me? I, I didn't realize that, that TV networks made endorsements now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't. <laughs> but again, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> They're not going to endorse him. <laughs> uh, so it goes on and on and on. And you just wish that somebody, if only one Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee or any one Republican in the Senate would stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. We're not saying we're against Brett Kavanaugh. We're not saying we're for him. Hey, wait a minute. Let's just slow this thing down and make sure we get it right. That's really what is lacking. Uh, but this rush to ramrod and railroad this thing through, I think, um, makes them look bad and it's going to end up the very worst for this country. Slow down. Get the FBI involved. Give them 48 hours or whatever to do their investigation. Whatever it shows... If it shows that Julie Swetnick is a total flake who can't be believed, let the committee know. If it shows that Brett Kavanaugh uh, is lying, whatever, let the committee know. If it shows Dr. Christine Ford uh, can't remember enough to substantiate anything she says, let the committee know. But slow down, get the FBI involved, let them do their report, then report to the committee, and then take their time. Instead... Again, they got to ram this through because they think it's their last chance before the midterms, 
to get him confirmed. They won't have a chance to get anybody else confirmed. It's their last chance to change the court and swing it far, far, far to the right for decades, and they'll do anything to make that happen. Great lineup of guests today. Congresswoman Sherry Bustos from Illinois will be joining us about a half an hour from now. We'll start off with Adam Walner, a good friend from McClatchy, D.C., and then later Leah Askanarian. Did I get that right? No. Askaranam. Askaranam, sorry, uh, who covers uh, House and Senate elections for Inside Elections will be joining us as well. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back with Adam Walner, the news of the day, and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Okay, okay. Thursday, September 27. Indeed, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, Great Iron Workers Union, members under the leadership of uh, Eric Ford. Uh, they are uh, building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Uh, check out the website at ironworkers.org. We welcome to the program Adam Walner, who uh, our good friend now, campaign and elections, covering campaign and elections in the midterms for McClatchy, D.C. Adam, good to see you. Yeah, Bill, thanks for having me thanks, back on. Thank you for coming in. Sure. And how about it? Um, so far, a few comments, Peter, along the way? Yes, indeed. Remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We had one person weighing in says, I'm looking forward to life in post-law-abiding America. The best part is we can now ignore the rulings of the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's a little bleak. That's a little bleak. Uh, also, uh, Joey says, what happened to the honorable, honest, trustworthy men in the GOP? Everyone in the GOP needs to be taught some manners. Also about Donald Trump's comments about how Democrats are just laughing at the whole process. Big fat con job. Big fat con job. Everyone's laughing at it. Uh, Trump is pro projecting once again. I'm sure he's laughing like hell at us. Good point, actually. Yeah. Uh, and on the, the story that I did about how Rhode Island is the most sex-crazed state when it comes to the Google data that they they're using. That, uh, so they did a survey, <laughs> the most sex-crazed state. Who would have thunk huh. it would be Rhode Island? It was Rhode Island. Island. I would not have guessed. And no. the top five were Maine, New Hampshire, so New England, something's oh, going yeah. on. KG says, well, it's cold in New England. There's not much else to do. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that maybe that answers it. If you have a comment on uh, any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. And a good time to remind you if you haven't already done so, check out our website at BillPressShow.com to find out all about my latest book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. What's really fun about this is uh, go to the website, not only make it easier for you to find out how to purchase a copy of the book, but... You can also um, add your own reasons, which many of you have done. Thank you, thank you. And I've added a few more myself. Uh, of course, there are many more than 100 reasons. Uh, again, I was on with um, uh, Julie Mason, my good friend, on the POTUS channel yesterday, and she was saying she's added a few reasons of her own to the list of 100, as can you. Uh, so you can find out uh, where to purchase the book, get your own copy, and um, also add your own reasons at our, at our website at BillPressShow.com. Right on the front page. Just follow the link. 
Uh, so, um, Adam, you and I have been to a lot of news conferences. I've talked to a lot of politicians. Did you ever see a performance like we saw yesterday from Donald Trump? Man, you know, it, yeah, it certainly harkens back to some of the press conferences he did during the, the 2016 camp- campaign. I think a lot of people brought up the, the Trump stakes press conference as an example. Um, uh, you know, the, the one where, you know, the one where Marco Rubio, you know, basically dropped out and Trump won the Florida primary. He certainly have, has had some some stem winders in the past. Uh, but th- this was, <laughs> I mean, really during his presidency, he hasn't done many press fourth conferences. One. Fourth one. Yeah. Um, so th- I think this one was certainly the most remarkable since he's been sworn into office. Uh, maybe he'll do some more of them. I think he, he enjoys doing them. <laughs> uh, that was my biggest takeaway was how happy he looked while he was doing yeah. it yesterday. Oh, no. He was in his glory. Right. Yeah, first of all, center of attention, the entire press corps there, uh, and um, the kind of uh, bowing to him, you know. Uh, he was totally in control, wouldn't let them uh, finish a question, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> called <laughs> on everybody, including Mr. Kurd. Uh, <laughs> right. There were two Kurdish reporters, and people got called on who never got called on before, and he right. was just, yeah, he was enjoying it. and. You know, to a certain extent, I mean, I understand. You have to be respectful of the president of the United States. And I thought the reporters were. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he was just cutting them off. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough to to actually get your question in, yeah. Yeah, really tough to get a question Um, And yeah, and and then, and now, And he made some outrageous statements. Right, and and, and just imagine that, obviously, in any other presidency and the amount of coverage that would have garnered. And now here we are, and, you know, I can Uh see Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, are any of them talking about the press conference? No, we're already on to to the next news story of of the Kavanaugh hearing today. Um, it's, It's just amazing how quickly some of these major news cycles come and go. I thought maybe one of the biggest admissions that he made yesterday is, yeah, he agreed, and this woman did press him because he tried to duck the question first. He agreed, I think we may have a clip here, where his, um, the women who accused him did have impacted his opinion about people like Brett Kavanaugh, meaning he is more likely to identify with a man who's been accused than the woman who accused him because he said he has been falsely accused so many times. I had a woman sitting in an airplane and I attacked her while people were coming onto the plane and I have a number one bestseller out. I mean, it was a total phony story. There are many of them. So when you say, does it affect me in terms of my thinking with respect to Judge Kavanaugh? Absolutely, because I've had it many times. Yeah, so he identifies, and I mean... I think someone did ask him, why is it that you always identify with men? And he says, right, well, I don't necessarily, you know, I could change my mind about Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, fat chance, right? Yeah. I th- but it is true if you look at in all of these cases, whether it's Roy Moore or Brett Kavanaugh or Roger Ailes or Bill O'Reilly or whatever, or himself, he always believes the man, never the woman. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's been clear since these accusations first came to light against Trump in the 2016 campaign, they really get under his skin. Like, they clearly bother him, and, you know, he feels that he has been wrongly accused. And so I've, I've, so whenever he sees these other, you know, in all these other cases, men who are also getting accused, I think he is more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt in this situation because he he, he has, uh, you know, t- taken this, you know, you know, it's gotten under his skin so much compared to, you know, I think a lot of the other things that, that get thrown at him on a daily basis. This is clearly something that, that really bothers him. At a time when the Me Too movement is recognized, I think, as one of the most powerful 
forces in this country since the civil rights movement, maybe the 50s and 60s. Donald Trump yesterday said the Me Too movement is dangerous and unfair to men. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of flying in the face of... uh, where this country is at the moment. Right. And and yeah, and probably not going to help uh, Republican candidates on the ballot in 2018 a lot who, who are already struggling to to win over women, especially uh, suburban women who maybe have gone for the Republican Party in the past, but aren't comfortable with the way, you know, Pre- President Trump is taking them right now. So he's, he's not making things any easier for Republicans who actually have to face voters this fall. Well, I was going to ask you about the, the impact of how the Kavanaugh thing may play out, because I know you've been reporting a lot on the midterms. Will it be um, let, let, already the way they've handled it, but particularly if they go through with their what they're talking about now, which is hearing today, mm-hmm. committee vote tomorrow, Senate vote on Saturday, and ram this thing through, will that be an issue in the midterms? Um, I, I think it will. You know, it it's, can always be tough to, to predict, you know, from this far out. You know, I mean, we are, you know, in one sense, we are only 40 days out from the election. But, at, you know, at the other, yeah. in the other it sense. It is 40 d- right? today is but, 40 but, days. You know, right? who knows what else is going to happen between now and November, True. right? Good point. So, but, you know, at, at least in, in the, in you know, operating under the assumptions today. You know, I do think Kavanaugh is going to be an issue. And it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the GOP plays this, because I think on the one side, you know, they, they want to sort of push this nomination through because they think that if Kavanaugh fails, um, that's really that's going to depress, you know, their base turnout even more than it already has. Because, you know, getting conservative justices on the Supreme Court on lower courts, that's that's been a big issue. That's why a lot of Republicans sort of held their nose and voted for Trump. Uh, the first time the around in 2016. evangelicals particularly will maybe stay with the home. Abortion, right? right, yeah, with the abortion issue, right? So that's one concern. But then the other side of that is you have to think about those voters in the middle who you know may not be comfortable with, with these accusations against Kavanaugh, again, especially those suburban uh, women who maybe have leaned Republican in the white, past. You know, white suburban yeah, women. You know, and they, and they see the Republicans jam- jamming this through. Right. right. That you know he that you know they see them jamming this through. That's not going to be a great look for them either. So it's going to be sort of a balancing act for them uh, with Kavanaugh here moving forward. And then from the other side too, you know, it'd be interesting to see how you know those Democrats in in the conservative states, uh, you know, whether it's you know Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Heidi Heitkamp North Dakota, Claire McCaskill Missouri, what they ultimately do if this nomination does end up making it to, to the full Senate floor. Um, I would have to say, Donald Trump asserted yesterday. Pardon me. Yesterday, that uh, that Kavanaugh will get three, four, or maybe five Democratic votes. I think he's wrong. The, uh, well, yeah, that, that uh, seems wrong about a lot. But I mean, I I can't believe that. Well, yeah. So only three Democrats voted for Neil Gorsuch. So I would have I'd be hard pressed to, to imagine a situation where Kavanaugh gets more than three Democrats. And and at the same time, you know, and, and there's still you know Republicans who he has to lock up. Uh, Jeff Flake who's a member of the Judiciary Committee, and then uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are all on the fence as, as well. So, uh, you know, th- th- this is far from a done deal, and, uh, you know, we'll have to see how, how he does today at, at, at the Senate Judiciary hearing. Uh, so Claire McCaskill has already said she's a no vote. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear that John Tester is a no vote. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Manchin, I think, is safe, but he sort of said at one time he kind of liked Kavanaugh. Now he's got a, more of a reason to vote against him. I think he's a question mark. Heidi Heitkamp is mm-hmm. a question mark. Uh, yet then again, I think her challenger has made it easier for her to vote no. Right. Yeah. With some of the comments he's been making, that's right. Yeah. And then Joe uh, Donnelly. Joe Donnelly in Indiana, right? But I think again, Joe Donnelly's been ahead in the polls all along. I mean, uh, I think he's got more reason now to 
to vote no. Uh, and sticking to judges for just a second, the other thing I thought was interesting is Donald Judge, com- uh, Donald Trump, Donald Judge, Donald Trump <laughs> complained about the um, judges. How many judges I have to appoint? Oh my God, I have to appoint 145 judges. I said, what? How so many? Well, because Barack Obama didn't appoint any judges. I mean, God, I was just so angry. I was, I was screaming at the television. Barack Obama tried to appoint the judges. Mitch McConnell blocked those judges. The Republicans using their filibuster right. in the Senate wouldn't confirm any of those judges. That's why there were so many vacancies. And now, as you pointed out earlier, uh, on the evangelical agenda, there are two things that are important, overturning mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade and packing the courts, the appellate courts, the district courts, and the Supreme Court with anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage judges. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, that, that, that's certainly been the focus in, in 2018. You know, you know, Republicans kind of knowing that they're not going to be able to get any major legislation through in an election year. They're, they've really prioritized getting these justices uh, on all yeah. these courts. And yeah. that's, that's what you can do when you have a Republican president and, and you control uh, the Senate as well. Right, which is why they're willing to. People keep asking me, why do Paul Ryan, why don't Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell say anything about some of this crazy stuff that Donald Trump does or says? Well, it's because Donald Trump's their ticket to tax cuts and mm-hmm. to judges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, he's advanced the policies that they want, and they know that they um, they're not going to have much of a political future without his his base at, at this point. All right. So, uh, covering politics the way you do for McClatchy, particularly looking at the uh, midterms, um, important governors' races, Senate races, House races, of course, uh, everything up for grabs. Uh, let's start with the House. Uh, how do you read it? You know, it's you know at this point you'd have to give you know a slight edge to to the Democrats just looking at you know in the past couple of weeks you know we've seen a lot of House polls come out from various um, nonpartisan you know outlets whether it's Monmouth University or New York Times has been doing their polls and it's been largely good news for for Democrats and they particularly seem to be doing well in these um, you know more suburban affluent districts that. Uh, you know, maybe Hillary Clinton had carried, for instance, in 2016, but the Republicans still held held on to it at the House level. Uh, you know, it, it's just, you know, th- th- and, the, and the map, you know, seems to be getting bigger. You know, Democrats are starting to play in some districts that that maybe we didn't think were going to be in play even, you know, a few months ago. So they, they just have a lot of, of opportunities um, at their disposal, whereas for the Republicans, they're really going, going to need to, you know, almost have, have a perfect election night to hold on to the House. And even then, you know, they would maybe only hold on to it by, by a couple of seats. So I think, you know, if you're putting odds on it, you'd have to give uh, an edge to the Democrats at this point. Uh, every time I look at the Cook political report, they have moved more House races right. from leaning Republican or whatever to at least toss up or maybe even leading Democrat. Yep. So, I mean, I think we're talking about 60, 80 plus seats that are at play and Democrats have to win 23. And that of 23, right. Right. Um, so it, it's doable, one sign. Number two, um, I mentioned the exact numbers yesterday uh, as I recall them. The, the last report for um, how much money the parties have raised, the DCCC uh, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee under Nancy Pelosi had raised 15.4 million dollars. Uh, she's just phenomenal fundraiser um, and leader. Um, the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee raised 5.8 million, I think. So a 10 million dollar advantage. Yeah. For the Democrats, which is a sign of where the energy is. Yeah, kind of all, all of the fundal, fundamental factors are pointing in the Democrats' direction. I mean, certainly the environment is in their favor. 
Uh, and and the, a big problem for Republicans is they have to defend so many open seats. You know, they they had to deal with so many retirements that even districts that maybe you know in a in a vacuum would be favorable to them. Not only are, you know are the Democrats have the wins at their backs, they don't have a strong incumbent uh, to sort of defend the seat. So I think for Republicans, you know, if they have any hope of of controlling the House, they're going to need some of their strong incumbents. Uh, in tough districts to hold on. You know, you look at Carlos, Carlos Curbelo, for instance, in, in Florida, or Will Hurd in Texas, Mike Kaufman in Colorado, these sort of Republicans that have been able to hold on year after year, even as their districts are moving more and more Democratic, you know, they're going to need them to sort of be that shield against the wave if, if it does come. But, um, but, but yeah, they, they have a lot of factors working against them right now. And if you flip to the Senate side, it's 51-49 right now. Mm-hmm. Um how do you again? How do you read it there? Uh, it seems to me if it if it does shift to the Democrats, it wouldn't be by a lot, and if it stays with the Republicans, it won't be by a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going it, to be pretty tight either way. Yeah, do yeah, you read it yeah, that way? yeah, absolutely. And, and it's kind of funny that you know it's almost you know, sort of the the opposite of the House, where it, it's the Democrats who are going to have to have basically a perfect election night in order to take back the Senate, uh, because really the battleground is just so much different. In the House, the battlegrounds are those more suburban, affluent districts, where in the Senate, it's these these red states that Trump carried uh, handily in 2016 that are represented by by Democrats. You know, there, there's 10 of those types of states. So not only do they have to hold on to all of those, you know, certainly no easy feat, they would also have to you know, flip a couple of other seats as well. You know, Democrats are looking pretty good in, in Nevada. That's, you know, Dean Heller's uh, race uh, looking pretty good in, in Arizona right now where Jeff Flake is retiring. And then, uh, you know, Tennessee is one Democrats are also hoping that they you know might be able to flip. That's going to obviously be a, a heavier lift. But the polls that have shown that uh, Phil Bredesen, former Democratic governor there, is is, is neck and neck there with with the, with the Republicans. So, you know, they're, you know, there's not a lot of margin for error uh, for the Democrats on the Senate side. But, but, you know, one argument, you know, that, that you could make in their favor is that in a wave election, a lot of times things tend to break in, in one direction. So I think that's what they're hoping that if they're able to keep, you know, all of these Senate races within the margin of error by by November 6th and the environment really is that good, maybe they're able to, to uh, so, win all So of states that. that we didn't think that, uh, would normally be in play for Democrats, you've mentioned uh, three of them, um, uh, Nevada with, mm-hmm. uh, with Dean Heller, although Nevada's become more and more tending, trending blue. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona, uh, which again, red state, Arizona, and yet Kirsten Sinema has been ahead in the polls right there. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, who would have thought that Tennessee would be at play? Uh, I um, was talking to some people from Tennessee um, out at a conference in San Antonio, Texas the other day, and they were saying Bredenson is so popular and Marsha Blackburn is just even Republicans don't like her. They may vote for her, but she's not. And she's not as well known either. You know, that's right. You know, yeah, she's known in her district, not necessarily statewide, unlike Bredesen, who served as, as governor. Right. So Tennessee is really in play. Uh, and Texas. And then, yeah, and then there's Texas. Uh, you know, in, you know, Cruz is, you know, has been up in, in some of the, the more recent polls, uh, but it certainly is a lot closer than than people expected. I mean, O'Rourke is just raising an, an insane amount of money. I mean, really almost presidential level type stuff there. So he's going to be able to keep the pressure on Cruz uh, from now to election day. 
Um, you know, I, I think you know it would really take a, a big wave for for O'Rourke to, to topple Cruz, but but you know this is you know, this is a much closer fight than than people thought it was going to be. It's everybody's wet dream, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally, totally. <laughs> Get rid of Ted Cruz. Let me ask yeah. about this because there is I, I we've been saying this for a while now. Like there is a path for Democrats to get back the Senate, mm-hmm. right? But it relies on a lot of major upsets, and one of the seats that Democrats sort of might have taken for granted, which could end up being a real problem, is in New Jersey with Bob Menendez. All of a sudden, his lead over his challenger has shrunk. That's right. You know, yeah, Menendez- And if we were to beat, if Democrats were to beat Ted Cruz and to get all this stuff, and then we lose the Senate and don't get the Senate back because of Bob Menendez, oh boy. Oh boy, right. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Democrats are panicking over that seat quite yet. I mean, you, you did see um, the DSCC, which is the main Democrats Senate campaign arm. They, they did um, go up with with, a, with an ad buy along with the with a, the Menendez campaign there, and you know, usually that, that's not a state they necessarily want want to be spending in it at this point in the race. But but you know, my sense at least is yeah, it's it's going to be closer than usual. Menendez is a little bit vulnerable, but. Um, he still should be in a relatively good position to hang on, given how blue that state is. Uh, I'm more concerned about Florida. Yeah, and because and, of Bill Nelson, right? Um, good man, but not um, not a very uh, not an outstanding candidate. I would say pretty low key, um, and he's up against Trumper Ron DeSantis. Um, well, uh, Rick Scott in, I'm sorry, in, in Rick the Senate Scott. race, right? Yeah, Senate DeSantis race. in the Rick governor's Scott, race. Yeah, yep. DeSantis yeah governor's exactly. Race. Talk about but, that in a minute. But right, yeah, but yeah, but right. yeah, Rick Scott and the Republicans had, had a huge spe- spending advantage all the money that, over the summer. But but but, uh, but Nelson and Democrats have really sort of brought that to parity here in, in the fall. And and you saw, you know, we had a couple polls out this week that actually showed Bill Nelson ahead. So uh, you know, I mean, that, that's going to be a, a tight race. Good. Uh, from now yeah. to November, but uh, but you know, yeah, a couple months ago, Democrats you know were, seemed to be pretty worried about Nelson and thought he may be one of their more vulnerable members. But now he's he's actually gotten off to to, to a lead according to the most recent public polls. Uh, and the five classic red states, right, that we always come back to, where people were saying a, a year ago Democrats were going to lose all five, uh, unlikely. But let's mm-hmm. start with so West Virginia looks pretty solid. Man- Mansion Mansion ha- has had a lead, I think, in. an Pretty much all of the public polls. Montana there. looks pretty solid for yeah. T- tester, yeah. I think and yeah, I, I think most you know of the ratings you know places would still call that that right. one a toss up. But uh, really, yeah, yeah. But but he's but yeah, but he he seems to be in good shape. And then you got McCaskill, Donnelly, and um, Heitkamp. Heitkamp. Yeah, I think yeah, Democrats would probably say Heitkamp is the most vulnerable of, of that bunch. And I mean, North Dakota is a state Trump carried by thirty six points. So you know. The, you know, no matter how tough the environment is for Republicans, that, that's a state that's going to be, you know, really difficult for them t- to lose. And then, uh, you know, McCaskill in Missouri, she's been able to hang on. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, she's maybe viewed as a slight underdog to Holly. But again, that's probably a toss up race. And uh, and Donnelly, you know, I think, you know, over the summer, a lot of Democrats would have said that Joe Donnelly was actually their most vulnerable member. But but the most recent polls have actually shown him ahead. He's proved to be a pretty, a pretty solid candidate and uh, uh, and, and, and is definitely holding on there. Just about a minute left. Who, what governor's races should be we be watching? Which ones are you particularly watching? Well, I, I would go back to, to Florida, that race between Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis. I mean, such a stark contrast there between the two candidates. Love it. I, I think Love is, is going to say a lot yeah. about the direction that that state's going to go in, in in 2020 as well. Right. Uh, Georgia? 
Georgia, an another great example. Both of those races, you know, you really couldn't have a starker contrast between the Democratic and Republican candidates there. Obviously, Florida is always your traditional battleground state. Georgia still leans to the right a little bit. But if the Democrats were able to, to win there, I think that would also give them a lot of hope about their, their future in that state. What is it? What is it? Ten, how, how many? I forget how many. But I've heard people that Democrats could pick up as many as 10 governors. So, I mean, there are a lot of Re Republicans are defending a lot of governor's mansions in part because they've had so much success there in yeah, recent election right. cycles. But, but I think Democrats feel good about uh, their chances in, in a lot of states. This yeah. Year. And looking ahead again to a 2020 and reapportionment, these governor's mm -hmm. races are so, so, right. so important. So um, so the way to find out is just follow a McClatchy com, com, and you can uh, keep up with all the good work of Adam Wallner on a day to day basis. Hey, Adam, thanks so much for yeah. coming in. Thanks, Bill. And uh, one big important battleground, of course, as always, is the state of Illinois, particularly and national efforts to turn congressional seats from red to blue. Sherry Bustos from uh, Congresswoman from Illinois is in this charge of that. So tell us Bill about Press it. Fresh show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. A fast Talk about a fast track. Boy, the Senate, they can get things done when they do want to do something bad. Uh, hearing today, they say, and a committee vote tomorrow, and the full Senate might vote as early as Saturday. You get the feeling they're in a rush to get this Kavanaugh guy on the Supreme Court. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, September 27. This is the Bill Press Show. You're part of it. Welcome to the program. So great to see you today as we join you from our studio here in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, and join you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, on the radio, on television, and online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, and we are so pleased to welcome to the studio uh, a good friend of ours here for most of this next half hour, uh, from the 17th Congressional District of Illinois, downstate. Yes, you One got and it. only Congresswoman Sherry Bustos. Hi, Congresswoman. Good, Good morning, to see Bill. You. Thank you. You've been busy. You've been out on the road, right? Yeah. Helping a lot of these Democrats in key, key races, particularly yeah. seats like yours that are reds. Red districts, right? Yeah, yeah. That's my that's my focus this election cycle all over the heartland, uh, yeah. because these are the districts that, as you said, Bill, are most similar to mine. They're they're swing district. They might be purplish. They might be a little bit reddish, uh, but these are the ones we have to win back if we're going to win back the majority. So I, I say the path to the majority goes right through the heartland. Right through the heartland, right. And you are living proof that you a Democrat can win in those districts. Absolutely. Yeah. Good for you. So lots to talk about. We will uh, get right into it with the Congresswoman and with all of you. Don't forget, your comments, always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, 
This Peter, is the bring full us up court on the press. big news of the day. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. So there is a new study uh, out by the University of Michigan that talks about our dependence on junk food. And they say that uh, the thing with junk food is it's a lot like drugs, like having an addiction to drugs. You will eat this junk food and your body becomes addicted to it and your body will actually go through withdrawal symptoms during the first week or so after you've had a junk food binge. They say that it lasts about two to five days. But if you eat a lot of junk food, you will, in the days after, experience feelings of sadness, irritability, tiredness, <laughs> and cravings. So it's a lot like any other addiction. It grabs a hold of you and it's hard to kick. Isn't that fascinating? How many times do you have to go to fast food to, to have it to be considered it's an addiction? So they talk. So Once they, a week? they they actually no. talked about once like how often you would have to, yeah, do, to right. eat junk food, and it's it's literally it's just once a day. What? Once a day. Once a day. Once a day, okay. eating that piece of junk food or eating that meal of junk food can get you hooked. So if I go to Five Guys once a month, once a month might be okay. Am I, I okay? Think that's probably a decent indulgence, but you might feel not so great the next couple of days. I would be congresswoman. Oh man, um, <laughs> my, my eating habits are not the best. I, uh, I will say that uh, too, too much uh, windshield time and st- going through drive-throughs. Um, I'm a big Culver's fan, so Culver's. Oh, oh man, so good. I, I love it, and yeah. and their turtle Sunday, you can't beat it. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Let's go to Phoenix, Arizona, where there is a woman who is. Uh, I, I give her points for creativity, but you cannot do this. She was driving in an HOV lane. And she had a baby doll in the front seat with her. And so when the police officer pulled her over, because you can't drive in an HOV lane yep. without other people, she said, no, 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 I actually have someone else in the car. And she had a baby doll with a blanket over it. And she said, this is just a baby. And the officer had to tell her, ma'am, no, that's that's actually a doll. Uh, so don't do that. But you know, again, I give her points for creativity. There, but there was a lot of the, when the HOV lanes first yeah. started, I remember in California, there were lots of stories like this where people would have mannequins, mannequins dummies and, like and everything, and they all got caught. But, you know. Hey, you know what, Bill? Move to rural America. We don't have HOV lanes, you so you don't have to fake it with a little uh, pretend baby it. doll. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, with apologies to FDR, this September 27, 2018 may be the day that lives in infamy from now on with what the Senate Judiciary is up to with the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, a farce of a hearing today. It is the Bill Press Show. We'll tell you all about it here from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. as we reach out to you coast to coast online on youtube.com slash the bill press show joining on free speech tv nationwide and out in the greater chicago area Hmm. not sure we get all the way down to the 17th district i hope you do illinois on the great wcpt booming out from the city of chicago but all over uh, a good part of illinois at any rate 
Here in studio with us, Congresswoman Sherry Bustos from the 17th District of Illinois. Congresswoman, it's good to see you. Thank you, Bill. On a very, very busy day. Mm. Let me ask you first, it's not your job to advise and consent on Senate nominations, but what is your impression of the way the Senate Judiciary Committee is handling the Kavanaugh nomination, particularly uh, the accusations from the woman we're going to hear from today, Dr. Christine Ford? I just I think the whole process is very unfortunate. The the fact that she wrote this letter uh, over the summer, asked for anonymity, just wanted to to bring this up to make sure that folks were aware of what she said happened to her. Um, it, and here's the thing: um, most women, adult women, will tell you that um, if you are of sound mind. You, you wouldn't bring up something like this because of what you go through. It was only 27 years ago that uh, Anita Hill mm-hmm. uh, went through. I mean, you know, here we are 27 years later talking about Anita Hill. The clips of her testifying all these years later is still up there. Christine Blasey Ford knows that's what will happen for decades to come. And look what's already happened to her family. Um, now, I, I, I think the ultimate goal whether you're a Democrat or Republican, senator, House member, an everyday citizen ought to be to get to the truth and why anybody would impede that or get in the way of that or not want to get to the bottom of this is beyond me. And they keep talking about a fair process. I mean, this has hardly been a fair process. No, right? on, on, I mean, you can look at the whole process. It hasn't been a fair process. And, and Bill, you just made the point about now this vote is still being planned for tomorrow yeah and and new allegations are still coming out um here's the thing uh christine blasey ford passed a lie detector test i don't hear a whole lot of people talking about that she passed a lie detector test she is calling for an fbi investigation um if i were the person who was accused of anything and i if if i said it wasn't true I would do everything in my power to get to the truth, get to the bottom of it. And um, certainly I would be calling for an FBI investigation myself if I was accused. Right. And so the president of the United States, who one might say doesn't have a lot of standing to talk about sexual assault, given his own background, um, his own record, uh, but he yesterday said that this whole thing is a big, fat con job. Uh, and, And, you know, he was really referring... Because he went on to say the Me Too movement is dangerous, unfair to men. So he's really saying the whole, all these accusations that, that we've heard from across the board, Roger Ailes, Harvey Weinstein, Roy Moore, all of them, big fat con job. Um, well, the the truth doesn't back up that statement, obviously. Um, but there are there are some people um, who seem to to disregard the truth these days, and it, and it is it's really it's the undoing of Washington D.C. It is the undoing of this country if we don't continue to seek the truth. The fact that you have reputable news outlets um, who do seek to to get to the truth, who do deep reporting and have trained journalists to get to the reporting, and you've got the president of the United States. Um, calling out those reporters and calling their publications or their news outlets fake news. Um, it, it, this is this is a dangerous place where you've got the president of the United States making these pronouncements that this is all fake. Um, a, again, why anybody would get in the way of trying to find the truth, I don't know. Right. Um, and, you know, again, the House members don't get to vote uh, on Supreme Court nominations, but there's a lot at stake 
in terms of n so many issues, right, with who's going to be the next person on the United States Supreme Court, the deciding vote, in effect. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, you know, a Anthony Kennedy was more of a somebody that you it would more of a swing vote, I, yeah, I guess, is probably the way you would characterize yeah. that. Um, and, and I don't think what we're looking at right now, should this confirmation go through, this vote happen tomorrow and he's confirmed, I think there's just going to be a lot of um, chaos uh, to, to pursue or, to, or that will ensue. Um, you know, there's there's people who are already talking about you've got to get to the bottom of these other allegations. And if the, this vote is tomorrow, how do we do that? If he is seated on the Supreme Court, um, I, I read a story this morning that was saying that, you know, this this is a public court. Uh, people showing up and um, protesting, uh, folks calling for an impeachment of a, a sitting Supreme Court justice. I mean, there's just chaos to come if we don't get to the truth now. And, and that's why it is so imperative. I, I do not know why Senator Grassley is rushing this through without making sure that we have these questions answered. Yeah. What, what, whatever the truth ends up being. Right. I mean, uh, I made that point a little earlier. I certainly agree with you. Just slow, t take, take, Take a deep breath, slow things down, and make sure they get it right. Absolutely. And then whatever the outcome is, is the outcome. But at least we will have proceeded with the facts. And right now, they're just rushing through without taking time to get the facts. And you right? have to wonder why that's in their benefit. You know, we're, what, 40 days away from uh, the, midterms. the midterm elections. I think it's 40 days today. Yeah, 40 days today. Um, and so there, there's time to get this right, um, whatever right looks like. And, and that might mean that... Um, a new nominee has to come forth. Um, it might mean that um, there's a vote after we get to the truth, and, and maybe there's an affirmative vote or maybe there's not. But, um, again, whatever, who's ever listening, and I'm, I'm guessing you maybe mostly have Democrats who listen. Yeah. But, but, Democrats, <laughs> re <laughs> <laughs> but Democrats, Republicans, independents um, are what guides us. Uh, as as elected officials, as a nation, has got to be to get to the truth. And there are ways to do that. There are um, witnesses that have been yeah. um, who's who have volunteered to come forward and volunteered to be interviewed by the FBI. They're not given that opportunity. Yeah, and and, yeah. and it's just it's beyond me why we wouldn't want to to um, get to the bottom of it. I read the three page statement by the um, the woman who you know a sworn mm -hmm. statement. It is. It is alarming and why we would not want to um, get to the bottom of every single one of those allegations. There's dates associated with it. There are places associated with that sworn statement. So it's not like the FBI can't come in here and check all of that out. It is entirely doable, although I, I agree. I'm married to a sheriff so I, I who used to run um, the detective bureau in the sheriff's department. So I um, I understand, at least as a, a spouse of someone in law enforcement, it's difficult when you have to go back so many years, but it's not mm -hmm. impossible. Right. Uh, let's get to the politics of the situation, because you have been very, very active uh, in these midterm elections, particularly helping people uh, who are running in districts like yours, a district that Donald Trump carried by... Well, he he, he didn't carry it oh. by a large margin, but it was a 17, it was an 18-point swing from what President Obama won by mm. and then what President Trump won by four years later. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the big contrast why um, I'm, I've been focusing on this is because while Donald Trump won my congressional district in central and western and northern Illinois, I won it by 20 points. So it, it it's just kind of a strange phenomenon. I've, I had this Nebraska farmer call me a political unicorn 
Um, <laughs> because it is it is yeah. strange when you think of one in five voters going into the mm-hmm. the polling place and going, okay, well, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, and then I'm going to vote for this Democrat uh, running for con- for Congress. So. Um, so that is why I'm helping candidates in these tougher swing districts. How many of these tougher swing districts are there? Most think? of the ones in the heartland. I mean, we, we've got, we're now up to what we call them red to blue. Red to blue, right. Um, we, we're now up to about 80. Now that's nationwide. Right. Um, about, uh, two th- well, about a third of those are, are in the Midwest. Um, and the, again, but, but, but that's incredible. So I just want to slow down there for a minute. So 80 of these red to blue districts, right? And there are other districts in play. Correct. These are red now, p- potential of turning them blue. That's correct. Right? That's I'm correct. I'm sure it's a scale. Some are more likely than others, right? That, correct. But they're the ones you're focusing on. And total overall, to get back control of the House, the Democrats have to win 23 seats. 23. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so you know, the odds are pretty good. I think we're okay. going to win it back, mm. I, and, and that's based on I, I'm out there a lot. I've been I've been traveling um, throughout the Heartland region. I, I'm focusing on 12 states um, in uh, in my role. I'm called the Heartland Engagement Chair at the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, so that's the eight Midwestern states, and we've added in, if you want to call Nebraska Midwestern, we've added in Nebraska, Kentucky, then also West Virginia and Pennsylvania because there's districts mm. there mm-hmm. that are more similar to the, the ones that I represent. Right, a lot of manu- I guess the western part of Pennsylvania. Correct, yeah, correct. Right. I mean, so there's a lot of manufacturing in, in uh, the Midwestern states, a lot of agriculture. And um, so I'm, I'm running for my fourth term, and so I have some experience of not only defeating a Republican to get in my seat, but yeah, then but to hang on to it I, by increasing margins each election. Which is a real challenge, right? It, it is a real yeah. challenge. Yeah. Well, so what are you telling people they have to do? Well, you say nice things about Donald Trump. No, no, that, that, that is not my that's not my counsel. Um, but but it, but I'll tell you, Bill, part of my counsel is to say we can't be this party or these candidates just about being an anti-Trump person. Um, but we've got real policies that we're saying to the American public, put your trust back in us as Democrats. And here's what we will do. And we've got three of our first items that we will do after we win back the majority. We're going to clean up this corruption. And that's like a broad statement to, to say we've got real policies that look at getting money out of politics, mm-hmm. transparency, the the ethics involved with um, self-dealing. So so that, number two, we really do need to rebuild our country, um, a real infrastructure package. That Amen. In, that includes things like getting broadband to the 23 million rural Americans who don't have it. I mean, how are you going to get ahead if you don't have high-speed internet? I mean, you know, it's like the you know, the electricity of, you know, when rural electric co-ops went mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. that's what that's what this is today. Or, or putting in the train lines coast The to train, coast, right? the yeah, ports, I mean, the airports, the yeah, right. all, all of that. Um, so we've got a we have a real trillion dollar package on that. And 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 as a result of it, that creates 16 million jobs. And of course, you have to have a retraining for a lot of folks. And then lastly, bringing down the cost of health care and prescription drug prices. So those are our top agenda items. And, and we will accomplish that if we are in the majority. If we're not, you know, we don't hold any gavels and and we don't control what comes out of any committee. Yeah. But that's important, it seems, because that's the agenda that people are looking for. They don't want you just to be against something, but for something. Right. 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 And and, and the other thing, this isn't this is not overly scientific, but 
you know, go to towns that might just have 300 people or 500 or 800 people. In, in my congressional district, uh, 60% of the towns that I represent are 1,000 people or fewer. And, and 85% are 5,000 people or fewer. So if I'm going to write off places like that, I'm, I'm done. Um, and, and in the past, Bill, frankly, I think the Democratic Party has said, oh, that's rural, that's more Republican, they've gone for Republicans, so we'll just focus on the urban areas. Well, we're leaving a lot of Americans out of the equation. And what happened in November of 2016 um, was these folks who felt left out, left behind, not paid attention to, they ended up voting for Donald Trump. And this is, we're, we're living through the result of that right now. So we better get it right this time. Are some of your farmers hurting because of the tariffs? No, they absolutely are. I, I went out harvesting with a family farmer last week. And uh, we're, we're driving in his John Deere combine. And I, I don't know if you've ever been out harvesting, Bill. I have never been in a John Deere combine. You I know must, what? I, I well, they're admit. made right down the street from where I live. And really? my And my oh. father-in-law used to build them. My brother-in-law built them. My husband helped build them at one point. Um but but how how the combines they're they're also high tech now. There's a little computer screen, yeah, and it shows by the second what the yield is. So how much is when? So the combine picks the the corn yeah. and it and it takes the the corn off the stock and you know puts it back in a bin. That's what this. But it yeah. it tells you exactly how much is coming in. We are going to have near record yields, and yet we've got one of our biggest markets, China that is shut off to us right now because of this tweet tariff war that has come out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And and this is at a time where every soybean that is being grown right now is being grown at a loss. So so we've got a lot of work to do. All right, so there's one other issue. Uh, we'll let you go with uh, after, I just have to ask you about this because yeah. it came up in the House this week uh, in the Democratic caucus. If Democrats do indeed, as you indicate, it might very well be possible, take back the House, who's going to be the next speaker? You know, that is a question that I don't <laughs> think any of us know the answer to right now. Um, I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of debate about that. Uh, Leader Pelosi plans to run for speaker. Um, it always ends up being a numbers game. You have to get to 218 votes on the House right. floor. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I don't know who else at this point is going to run. But, uh, you know, have you committed to anybody at this point? I have not. Other than um, there are some uh, we have a lot of different layers of our leadership. I'm planning to run for a leadership position. Um, we'll see how it all uh, shapes up. But we have people who have announced that they're running for caucus chair or caucus vice chair at this point. Um, and, you know, so I've got some friends running in those positions. But but as that all shapes up, I, I'll make commitments to people. And, you know, I, I like so, the saying that in Washington, the second best answer is no. Um, so when you are when you're running for something, you either want to know, are you going to be with me or are you not? But what ends up happening a lot of times is uh, people are very noncommittal. So it's hard to know exactly how any of these are going to so turn out. At this out. point, you're not a definite vote for Nancy Pelosi. Well, I, I don't know if I don't know if that's going to be the person who ends up running on the House floor. Right. Um, I, I can tell tell you this: I have a great deal of respect for her. Um, she is the first female speaker in the the his first first and only female yeah. speaker, and she has um, she's been very good to me on a personal level, and um, and I think she has some amazing legislative accomplishments. So, so I don't want to dismiss that either. I think it's very important to note what she has meant 
um, in the history of this country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's get back to the House first. and then Yes, we'll, then let, we'll let's focus the, on November 6th. We'll 40 days, that. Bill. I know you got to go. Thanks so much for coming in, Congresswoman. Thank Always you. Always good to see you. Uh, and you walk out with a copy of my yes. new book here, Trump Must Go. Uh, I've told uh, all the rest of you about how you can get your copy. Go to our website at BillPressShow.com. Thank you, Thanks Bill. Thanks so much for coming in. Great Appreciate it. You. All right. And uh, let's go November 7, huh? Yeah. Uh, just unplug there. Here's Ray's going to help you out. Yes. So uh, welcome back to uh, what was an incredible news conference yesterday. I hope you had a chance to watch part of it or at least saw some of the clips. We have never seen a performance like that on the part of any president ever, ever, ever. I mean, it was it was wild. <laughs> wild. It was crazy. And Donald Trump was in his element just freewheeling, talking about himself, which, of course, he loves doing more than anything else, uh, talking about how everybody admires his big brain, talking about the fact that uh, he identifies with Brett Kavanaugh because so many people, so many women have falsely accused him of doing wrong and God God knows he never did anything wrong when it comes to the way he treats women. He just, and he made such wild claims about what percentage, false claims about what percentage of the women's vote that he got, uh, accusing China of meddling in the 2018 elections without giving, I'm not saying they're not, but Donald Trump didn't provide any evidence at all, and he still hasn't acknowledged that Russia did that in the 2016 elections and are probably doing it now again. It was just wild. You know what uh, What really stuck out to me? Uh, there were a lot of topics that were covered. He certainly sort of uh, was running the show up there. Nobody asked him about Michael Cohen. And I was... I, Interesting. I, right. I really was hoping that... Some, because that seemed like one of those things that he could absolutely, positively just tee off on. And... Yeah. And really sort of, you know, back himself into a corner. That seemed like one of those opportunities where he would say something that would absolutely come back to haunt him. But nobody asked him about it. I just feel like that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I know I, there was a lot of stuff to talk about. Right. But that felt like an obvious one. Yeah, right. I would have preferred more questions like that and fewer questions about the Kurds. Uh, but, right. But, you know, when you've got foreign there, – there are other issues – uh, and other important uh, parts of the world to ask about. So it's, that, that's legitimate. But but you're right, that would have been been great. Well, part of it is also that he just rambles on for so long, uh, not always, and for the most part, not answering the questions that were asked. Um, remember there was one case where the woman started to, to ask her question. He started to talk. She never finished her question. And he went on for like about 10 minutes, and then she said, well, I never got to ask my question. He said, you've been asking questions for 10 minutes. Wild. No, she hadn't. She was just standing there waiting for him to shut up so she could uh, ask her, her question. Uh, but again, for the most part, um, he spent the time putting down the Me Too movement, uh, calling it dangerous, calling it unfair to men, uh, calling all, lumping together all the... Uh, accusations that have been made against Brett Kavanaugh. And remember, we are now up to one, two, three, four, five women. I would say at least three of which are credible. The last two were anonymous and 
Some Democratic uh, staffers on the Senate Judiciary Committee believe that those last two were thrown out there by Republicans just to kind of mess up the whole process, which, by the way, I totally believe. Oh, I believe that, too. Totally and, believe and it. Let's just assume, like, let's, let's they just— They were off the wall. They came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. If that's, and, if that's where we are with this process, we, we should all be horrified. Yeah. Horrified. Like, what are they not above doing to try and get this guy who appears to be a serial sexual predator onto the Supreme Court? They they are not above that. That's bad. Right. Um, the third one name came out yesterday afternoon. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I was uh, going into NPR all prepared to do an interview yesterday talking about uh, Deborah Ramirez and Christine Blasey Ford uh, when... <laughs> My phone goes off with the breaking news um, that Michael Avenatti has uh, introduced his client that he talked about, uh, that he did say, I have someone who's willing to testify, willing to be interviewed under oath by the FBI. Uh, and her name, now we know, is Julie Swetnick. She's from Gaithers, went to Gaithersburg High School um, and uh, knew Brett Kavanaugh, she says, at the time. Michael Avenatti yesterday went on The View and detailed um, what she was prepared to tell uh, if she ever has the opportunity. She will not have the opportunity, apparently, to talk to the Senate Judiciary Committee, but what she'd be willing to tell the FBI. The attempts to uh, drug uh, women by placing uh, grain alcohol and or drugs in uh, basically the punch at these parties, uh, that many of these women ended up gang raped, unfortunately, I mean, the details in this declaration are specific. Uh, they are shocking. Uh, but above all else, they are true. And he went on to say um, she is, uh, she, you know, she's comfortable with her recollection of these events and is willing to so testify. She is willing to testify. Again, she's willing to meet with uh, the FBI forthwith uh, immediately to describe what she witnessed. Uh, she's prepared to provide additional corroborating witnesses' names uh, to the FBI associated with that investigation. And we're hopeful that the committee is going to respond uh, immediately. Uh, and the committee has not responded. The committee has not given her an opportunity to testify, nor have they given uh, Deborah Ramirez, a second woman, to come forward uh, through the New Yorker magazine. Uh, given uh, either one of them an opportunity to, to testify, even though they keep saying we want a fair process and we really do care what these women have to say and we want to hear from them, and at the same time they don't give them don't give them an opportunity to be heard from. Um, and Donald Trump was asked yesterday about this, but he, in as in typical fashion, rather than focusing on the substance of the allegations. Uh, the Republicans, including Donald Trump, either talk about how long ago it happened or how late in the process that the charges came forward or just attacking the messenger uh, as he does when it comes to Michael Avenatti. Uh, yeah. People are going to have to make a decision. 36 years, there's no charge. All of a sudden, the hearings are over and the rumors start coming out. And then you have uh, this other con artist, Avenatti, come out with another beauty today. <laughs> come out. Yeah, again, 
the, the way he puts down the, anything that these women have to say. Yeah, another beauty. Yeah, another beauty today. Another big, fat con job, right, today. You know, there, there was a lot of, uh, online specifically, like Lindsey Graham, who, who came out and Please, just don't get they, me started. They, I know, uh, I know. Get me started on Lindsey Graham. They keep calling Michael Avenatti the porn lawyer or the lawyer to porn stars or whatever. Yeah, let's remember, he's representing a porn star Donald Trump had an affair with and paid $130,000 to. They, they, for whatever reason, Bill, they leave that part out. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. They don't bother mentioning yeah. that, which right. is really weird, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the porn guard. He's, he's... Donald, he's Donald Trump's porn lawyer. He's a lawyer representing the porn star who was in bed with the porn star. Like, this is insane. Right? Yeah. This is insane. Who was banging the porn star? It wasn't Michael Avenatti. It's Donald Trump. Yeah, right. This whole gang. And, and uh, uh, for the hundredth time, the last person who to be talking at all about sexual assault and certainly could not talk about it with any credibility at all is Donald Trump. All right. We're going to go back to the uh, political scene here, too, because there is so much going on in important House, Senate, and, uh, and gubernatorial races. Plus, a big question about what impact the Kavanaugh hearings are going to have on those midterms. Leah Ascaranam, Ascaranam, sorry, uh, is with Inside Elections. Good friend, she'll be here to bring us all up to date. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Uh, Thursday, September 27. Uh, here's the big day. Um, we'll find out maybe what happens to Rod Rosenstein if that meeting ever takes place. And, of course, we've got the big farce of a hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee starting off at 10 a.m. East Coast time. That's just an hour and a half from now, a little less than an hour and a half from now. Dr. Christine Ford testifying first, followed by a Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. you got to be watching wherever you happen to be. Just take time out. You know, walk out of your job and go to the local bar or something. You know what the TVs will be on. Um, And uh, while you're at it, while you're at it, take time out also. Go to our website at BillPressShow.com and check out where you can get a copy of my hot new book, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump, and of course, maybe one to keep him. Uh, it's out now, but out for uh, just a couple of weeks. So get your copy, and uh, we can find out how to do so again at BillPressShow.com. And that's also, just follow the link where you can add your own reasons. I know I had to exercise some discipline, keep it down to just 100 reasons. There are a lot more reasons that many of you have already indicated added your own, if you haven't already done so, billpressshow.com. And the big hearing today, of course, is happening right on the cusp, 40 days from today on the midterm elections. Inside elections keeps track of all of those House races, Senate races, governor's races. Leah Ascaranam is, um, I don't know what, chief deputy? I'm a reporter slash analyst. Is that right? That's, That's what I call myself. That's what it says online. So... That's what I go by. But it must be true. If it's online, it must be true. Everything on the internet you should trust, absolutely. I think we want to elevate you to a position to, yeah. (laughs) Bureau chief. Deputy executive 
director or something. I'll know. add it to the website <laughs> right yeah. after this. Put it on the internet, then it'll be true. What's yep, your boss's exactly. name again? Is Nathan Gonzalez. Nathan, tell him when he, when I can he gets just back. Get online. You just got a raise. Just... You just got a promotion. <laughs> Thank He's you, got to come up with a raise to go with the promotion. I'm so excited. <laughs> how, are you? how are you, Leah? I'm good. Good. It's good to see you. Are you excited about these midterms? Yeah. There's a lot going on. I'm excited for them to be wrapping up as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, right. There is there's a lot going on, and I don't think we know how things are going to wrap up today or tomorrow or how this week will wrap up so it's hard to project how things are going to actually play right, out so let's start let's start at the bottom we usually talk about the house races first how about the governor's races i'm really interested in those because uh, i just think democrats have uh not paid as much attention as they should to the governor's races right i mean this, this year this is our farm team really and the state legislatures are doing some incredibly important things these days where the congress is not right and we have reapportionment coming Exactly. And I, I think it's been referred to as a generational election because 2020 is the new census. So you will have reapportionment. There are, I think, 26 governors up uh, mm-hmm. this year that will have a say in how how U.S. House districts are redrawn. So the governor's races have a huge impact on the federal lines, on the U.S. House races. And people at the Democratic Governors Association are hoping that uh, it could help the Democrats in the House, you know, keep a majority or hold a majority through the 2020s. Right. Um, and so the which do you feel are the, you know, the, the key races to watch and which ones are you focusing on? Yeah, I, I mean, cover them all. But no. And it's so interesting because they're the states where you're seeing um, a lot of the Democrats, the best chances for Democrats um, on the governor side are also sometimes governor or this Republican senators are there or vice versa. You're going to see a lot of people splitting their votes is what I'm saying. Uh, I got it. Um, So uh, a good one to watch for Democrats is Minnesota. Um, We saw that uh, Tim Pawlenty did not win his uh, nomination for the Republican governorship. Um, Instead, it's a businessman named uh, Jeff Johnson, and he'll be running against uh, Congressman Tim Walz. Um, and right now, it looks like Walls is uh, in a pretty strong position. We can't really imagine. Walls a Democrat? Walls is a Democrat. And if Pawlenty had been on the ballot as a Republican, you can expect outside groups, Republicans, um, his old friends coming in and donating to his campaign. Jeff Johnson isn't going to have that kind of infrastructure, that kind of organization. So that's a huge opportunity for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a whole While bunch- we're out in that part of the world, yeah. how about Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, uh, we have Tony Evers um, is the superintendent there, um, and he is running uh, for the Democratic nomination. What I think is interesting there is... Well, I mean, he's the Democratic nominee. Oh, yeah, sorry, he's the Democratic nominee. Yeah. Um, So he's running for the governorship there. What's interesting there is that Democratic governors across the country are running on education this year because the recession is over and... Democrats feel like they can kind of reestablish their priorities to be things like education instead of balancing the budget. So Tony Evers is one of those education candidates. Superintendent of education for the state of Wisconsin. Exactly. Up against Scott Walker, who's running for the fourth time, I guess, third term. It's up there, yeah. But he had had the recall, too. So Right. And, I mean, we have that rated as a toss-up right now. Um, which and there's also a, again a Senate race at the same time where Democrats seem to be performing pretty strongly. 
Um, so, you know, it's it's looking hard for Republicans to hold a bunch of those seats. Um, we also have Tim Walls, for example, who was running, we just said, in mm-hmm. um, Minnesota. He's a former teacher. There's just David mm-hmm. Garcia running against um, uh, David uh, Ducey in Arizona, Governor Ducey, um, a Republican. He also has a background in education. So you're seeing governors across the country kind of rally around this public education, a little bit of health care, um, and really just kind of telling voters that, you know, President Trump might be in the White House, but we can still do our own thing in Minnesota, in Arizona, in Wisconsin. That's separate from what's happening at the federal level. Right. Uh, right next door here, a big governor's race in the state of Maryland. Ben Jealous yeah. up against incumbent Larry Hogan. Yeah. Ben Jealous, uh, Bernie Sanders um, endorsed candidate. Endorsed candidate. Um, that is a really tough race for Democrats, which is interesting because it's in Maryland. Um, another really tough one is in Massachusetts for Democrats. Um, Democrats are still um, optimistic that it could be a late-breaking race. So Ben Jealous um, is the Democratic nominee going up against a Republican governor, Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan is incredibly popular in the state um, among Democrats and Republicans, seen as kind of a, a moderate Um, Whether or not that's true depends on who you ask, but definitely perceived to be one. Um, And Ben Jealous has been perceived to be further to the left, and it's been harder for him to gain traction. That said, Democrats are hoping that come November that people will come out anyway because it's Maryland and because Trump is in the White House. And yeah, you might like Larry Hogan. You might think he's a great guy. But just like with Governor Ehrlich, it might be enough to to toss him out. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Massachusetts or tell us about Massachusetts. So uh, Charlie Baker is the Republican governor there um, and he will win <laughs> re-election. Um, the, uh, he's managed to distance himself from President Trump more than any other Republican statewide candidate, I think, on the map. Um, And he's managed to get support from Democrats more than anyone else, including more than Larry Hogan. Um, Larry Hogan is in more jeopardy, I would say, than Charlie Baker. Neither of them is in huge jeopardy right now. We're we're not expecting to see either of them um, fall, though you never know. There's still two more months and we're in a volatile political uh, environment. And then we go to Georgia and Florida. Yeah, which so two most exciting for me, anyhow. I, I think Florida's the most exciting. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I think Florida's so exciting because you have the concurrent Senate race at the same time. So Andrew Gillum is the gubernatorial Democratic nominee, um, and he'll be facing Congressman Ron DeSantis, the Republican who is the Trumpiest of the Trump Republicans. Um, Andrew Gillum uh, has been leading in just about every public poll that we've seen. I think literally every public poll that we've seen. Ron DeSantis, it looks like, is trying to uh, reorganize some of his campaign, um, hiring some new folks to help him get on the right track. But Andrew Gillum definitely has the momentum. Hmm. Now, Andrew Gillum is um, perceived as to be more progressive, and he could end up boosting the Senate Democrats, Bill Nelson. Bill Nelson. So what Democrats are hoping for is that Gillum will help rally progressives and African-American voters in Florida and that Nelson will get some of those kind of panhandle Democrats, some of those more moderates, and that together um, they kind of 
boost each other. Uh, it's not out of the question, though, that you would end up having uh, Gillum win the Demo- Gillum, the Democrat, win the governorship, and that you would have Bill Nelson lose the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Nelson is running against the current governor, Republican Rick Scott, who uh, has been running a strong campaign and has tons of money to put into it and has been on the air longer, just has more resources to run um, a strong race. Right. Um, is DeSantis uh, able to unify the Republican Party after, you know, the Republican, I mean, Adam Putnam, the de- mm-hmm. Again, the Secretary of State, was he? No. It seems like a year ago, doesn't it, that this primary happened. No, the Agriculture Commissioner of Florida, right. Um, But he was was sailing ahead in the polls until Donald Trump got involved himself in the primary and endorsed another Republican, Ron DeSantis, his buddy from Fox News. Right. And Uh, that's uh, one of the questions is whether Trump's endorsement in the primary, which was key for so many of these nominees is actually going to end up hurting them in the general election. Right now, it doesn't seem like DeSantis is uniting the Republican Party in Florida. And unlike uh, Democrats right now, there's no unifying enemy in Florida to rally Republicans against. It's not like you're going to show up to the to vote for Ron DeSantis, even though you're not a big fan of him because you want to stick it to Trump. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a thing that's going to happen. Right. Um, so he's struggling there. And I think we're seeing um, a few. I mean, Chris Kobach in uh, Kansas um, ended up winning the governor, uh, the nomination for Republican governor um, after a Trump tweet. Um and he's also going to struggle in a in a Kansas general election. Um, that should be something that, you know, is kind of in the bag. It's Kansas. It's a Republican uh-huh. state. But they're going to have to invest real money there. And there's a strong Democrat who could win. Uh, who? Laura Kelly Laura is her Kelly. name. Yeah. yeah, there are two Kellys running, uh, two Democratic women whose last name are Kelly running uh, this year. Um, but that's definitely a race to watch. Stacey Abrams in Georgia? Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, I don't know if we've seen much movement in that race since last time we spoke. It's still a competitive race. Stacey Abrams has definitely not fallen in the polls. So it seems like she'll be running a a competitive campaign up to the last minute. That said, it's still Georgia. And we're just not sure that Georgia is going to elect a statewide uh, Democrat this year. Leah Ascarnam with us from Inside Elections. It's insideelections.com. We can't... uh cover all the races, House, Senate, and gubernatorial uh, in a half an hour. But um, you can go to InsideElections.com and catch up on all the rest of them you might be interested in or more about the ones we've talked about. So um, clearly, one of the things, motivations behind the Senate's rush to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, uh, regardless of the facts, is... um, they think that they might lose control of the Senate in November yep. on 40 days from today, and they want to be sure they get this done before then because afterward it would really be dicey. Um, so uh, how do you call the Senate? Uh, could Republicans lose control of the of the Senate? Uh, yeah, Republicans could lose control of the Senate. There are you know, enough— But a year ago people were saying— that never happened. Well, I would say the map changed when Doug Jones won the uh, Demo- won the Senate race in, in Alabama. Alabama. When oh. a Democrat won a Senate race in Alabama, it just changed the map. It meant that instead of maintaining all of their current positions, all of the senators who are all of the incumbents 
winning re-election. In addition to that, having to pick up three seats, now they only have to pick up two seats. Mm-hmm. And that's much more manageable. That would mean that they didn't have to pick up Texas, that they don't have to pick up Tennessee. They could rely on Arizona and Nevada. So it's definitely been something we've been talking about, I think, for the last year. Our ratings haven't changed so much in the last year that this seemed impossible um, after, at least after the Alabama Senate race. But um, there are enough races that are in question that the Democrats could win a Senate majority. There would kind of They'd have to run the board, though. It would be they'd have to win every race that they're competitive in, basically, in order to win. So that's the that's the tricky part for Democrats. So they would have to hold on to the five red districts we keep talking about: Indiana, West Virginia, mm-hmm. North Dakota, Montana, and whichever other one. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, they have to hold on to all five of mm-hmm. those. And then pick up two. And then pick up two, yeah. Which and could be Arizona. Nevada. And Nevada. Or it could be Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, maybe Texas. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yes. yes, Texas. Yes, Texas. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, but again, unthinkable a, a year or so ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, the idea that Beto O'Rourke, Democratic nominee for uh the Senate in Texas is running the campaign he's running, I think is probably the biggest surprise for me. In August, he raised $9 million online, his campaign did. That's unheard of. And I think that's a sign of enthusiasm among Democrats. I think Ted Cruz has been Beto O'Rourke's best fundraiser. Um, Every time Ted Cruz comes up with some kind of controversial tweet that national Democrats are upset about, Beto O'Rourke ends up padding some of his fundraising. Um, So I think he's been running a really strong campaign. It's just not clear that there are enough Republicans and Democrats to vote for uh, uh, to vote for him in November. I mean, Texas is going to come back, you know. Um, yeah. I th- don't think we expected it to come back this fast. Yeah. But just the fact that it's in play, seriously in play, it's is huge. very exciting. Yeah. And could happen. It could happen. Absolutely. I think it depends on the size of the wave. Um, I think it depends also on, you know, we have to see Beto O'Rourke run a professional campaign as well. Fundraising isn't enough. He has to use that money in a way that actually works. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely in play. You know, if, if Beto O'Rourke were to win, there are Republicans in Washington who would line up and say, thank you. Thank you, Beto. Thank you for getting rid of Ted Cruz. Well, I think people forget how Ted Cruz was first elected. I mean, he was part of kind of the Tea Party, like becoming a a thing. Um, So I do think that there is, I think it's hard to see from D.C. that there are people from Texas who genuinely like Ted Cruz. His approval ratings are generally pretty strong for an incumbent. Um, But in D.C., I think there's just such a kind of visceral hatred toward him. Um, I just don't know if that exists in Texas. We're definitely trying to see Beto O'Rourke position himself as the more moderate candidate. That's the winning strategy so that uh, Ted Cruz seems like an extremist who, who won't get anything done in Washington. Okay, so those five red state Dem- a Senate, Senate mm. Democratic, a Senate seats now held by Democrats, states that Trump carried. Yeah, 
2016. Um, some of them seem to have firmed up for the Democrats, uh, but West some Virginia. still shaky. Huh? Yeah, West Virginia is just getting stronger and stronger for Joe Manchin as a Democratic senator there. Um, North Dakota is still tricky for Senator Heitkamp. Maybe the trickiest of the five. I think so at this point. We did see uh, her Republican opponent, um, Congressman Kramer, um, make some comments about the uh, Kavanaugh hearings that could maybe backfire, but it's just too early to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I mean, it's the it's the steepest climb for Democrats. Okay, Indiana. Indiana still toss up. Still, I mean, Donnelly seems to be running a strong campaign. There's been recent reporting about the Republican candidate Mike Braun not running as uh, kind of professional a campaign as some people in state would have liked. Also talked to Republicans in D.C. though, and and they think that he's running a, a decent campaign. And so that you still he have still Indiana as a toss up, mm-hmm. Missouri toss up. Really? Still toss up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that I don't want to make any promises, but I feel like that will be a toss up to the last day. Every race we see, I mean, every poll we see is just razor thin margin. Um, and they're both running pretty strong campaigns at this point. Uh, and Montana? Montana, I think we have as tilt um, or lean. What do we have it as? It's, I mean, Montana's. Interesting. So Tester is one of the stronger candidates. And Rosendale, the Republican um, uh, Republican uh, nominee, is not gaining as much traction as Republicans would like to see. So I do think that John Tester in Montana, the Democrat, has the momentum there. It's, it just always seems to me there's anybody, when I think about the Senate, who really represent their state, you know, kind of what the state is all about. It's John Tester in Montana. John Tester's up there. Every time I see him on that tractor, you know. I know it is. The tractor, it is. And yeah. And that's the what's interesting about the Supreme Court nom- uh, confirmations right now is Democrats running in those Trump states are trying as hard as possible to run as independent candidates rather than being perceived as part of the party. But how does this Trump nomination or, or Kavanaugh nomination fight, Im- how could it impact some of those Senate races? So that's the what Republicans would like to see is the conversation around these candidates get pushed into a partisanship rather than about the candidates or rather than about the individual policies. And the Supreme Court hearings could help them. I mean, it could help Republicans kind of remember their roots, you know, especially when it comes to social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still pretty hypothetical that that would actually happen. I think what we're seeing is uh, Democrats uh, are hoping that suburban women are more uh, fired up than ever, but they already kind of were. It's not like we've been simmering and now we're reaching a boiling point. Like, we've been boiling (laughs) for the last two years. So it seems like... like, This could help keep them boiling. I think that generally it could. I can't imagine that there are that many suburban women who weren't already appalled by some of Trump's behavior and his tweets um, that we see pretty frequently who are now going to wake up. I think that suburban women have been awake. And I think you're seeing that in our in our polling. We just saw um, yesterday Pew released some numbers for the generic ballot. So mm. whether people would prefer to see a Democrat or a Republican control the control house. The house. 
Um, and the gender gap was 20 points. I mean, women are far more likely to be Democrats at this point. Men are slightly more likely to be Republicans. We're already seeing that. We're already seeing the enthusiasm. So I think it's it's hard to kind of say that anything will change that much in the next 40 days. And um, should uh, Kevin McCarthy forget about being the next speaker of the United States <laughs> of the House, meaning that uh, it's going to be a Democratic speaker I, because the Democrats are going to take back control of the House? If I had to put money on it, I would say Democrats take back the House. Um, we're seeing Republicans start to kind of narrow down which races are actually attainable for them. We're seeing them start to rule out some some incumbents who are kind of widely acknowledged to not that they won't be in the next Congress. Um, so I think we're and, and at the same time, we're seeing Democrats expand their field. So uh, like Congresswoman Busto said just a few minutes ago, they have the DCCC has 80 candidates who they are supporting. So I think just in terms of the overall pool of candidates, Democrats don't need to win all of them to win a majority. They don't even need to win half of them. They just need like a third of them in order right. to get the majority. But of course, yeah, uh, absolutely. They need to win 23. And as she said, just in looking at the red to blue states that mm -hmm. she's focused on, the more rural areas in the heartland, there are 80 of those. Yeah. Right. And then there are a lot of other seats that are that are in play. So uh, it could be a, could be a good chance of uh, a blue wave in the house, uh, at least. Again, uh, we just scratched the surface, it seems. So InsideElections.com is where you go to keep up with all the work of Leah Ascaranam uh, and everybody else over there at Inside Elections. Thanks, Leah, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Have a great Thursday, folks. Watch the hearing. We'll talk about it tomorrow. It's the Bill Press Show.